What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pestuge. I'm your host. Today's guest on the show is one of our more successful ProPath gym owners. His name is David Rubin. His gym is Courage Fitness Durham, and Dave is exemplary of who we want to work with at Active Life. Not because of the revenue that his gym does, and not because of the amount of coaches he has working for him full-time who are fully invested in the education, but because of the way that Dave allows the staff members at his gym to shine. The job that he does better than anybody else that I've met, frankly, in this business for a long time is that he creates opportunities for the vision of the staff in the gym to fit inside of the vision of the gym. And when it doesn't, he expands the vision of the gym when he values the staff member bringing forth what they want the place to be for the members and for themselves. Dave is in the top 0.1% of CrossFit affiliate owners worldwide. I have absolutely no data to back that up from CrossFit that it can validate that that's the truth. I just know that he's earning about 6x what the average CrossFit gym in the world is earning. And I believe with everything that I have that there are less than 15 gyms in the world doing what he is doing. What he talks about on the podcast today is how to be an excellent business owner. And it just so happens that it translates to the gym. And we have the good fortune of working with Dave and Dave's entire staff in our pro path. I'm not going to keep you from it any longer. Let's get you to the show. Active lifers. Good news for you today. Bulletproof is back. Due to popular demand, we have brought back our body part specific training programs. The Active Life team of doctors and coaches have developed four programs for you to choose from. Back, shoulders, legs, and total body. Kiss your aches and pains goodbye and finally feel great again. Check out the link in show notes for all of the details. Dave Rubin, welcome my friend. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. I I very much enjoy talking to you. I think you already know that. Yeah, this is pretty exciting now. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Uh, Dave, when you first got into opening your gym slash gyms, did you envision yourself not coaching or working in them on a regular basis? Or was that something that happened as you, as you evolved? Um, hmm. I think I always envisioned working in them. Um, but I definitely, when I first started with these, I definitely could foresee myself not coaching in them. I had already been in the fitness industry, uh, prior to getting into the micro gym side of the industry. And I had already been a coach and had then progressed or what I had seen as progressed in my career where I wasn't coaching, I was doing gym sales and gym management and then multiple gym management. So I think when I started with this, I could definitely foresee getting back to a point where I wasn't necessarily having to be the coach on the ground uh, or maybe even coaching at all, um, whether it was out of necessity or even want and more running the business or running the the bigger operation. And when you were running gym slash gyms, you were Mm -hmm. doing that on a, on a bigger scale health club, big box gym style gym. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Big box gyms. Uh, you know, we were talking, talking about 25, 30,000 square foot gyms, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 member gyms. And at one point uh, I was running or overseeing, I wouldn't say running, but I was overseeing three to four of those and the management team in, of three or four of those at a time. So I think there's a lot 
to discuss from your experience there as it pertains to a lot of your success that you're having now. And I'm curious to ask you questions about it. Sure. One of the things that I attribute to our success at Active Life is that we evolved into and out of each fitness modality that we've evolved into and out of. So what that means is I started off as a personal trainer at World Gym in Huntington, New York, and then became a personal trainer at Equinox, which was kind of an ascension. Then it was in a CrossFit gym that was someone else's. Then it was in my own CrossFit gyms, and it was out of those CrossFit gyms and back into commercial. All of nothing is singular from an influence perspective. And I think that you share that, and I'd like to hear about that. Sure, sure. Um, you know, my first job in fitness was, I think I was still in high school and it was working front desk back in the mid nineties of our, of what was my local health club. And at the time it was, uh, you know, private label, you know, locally owned operation. This was back when working the front desk and, you know, basically was made up of a series of logs. Nothing was electronic back then. Right. So there was the racquetball reservation book, the tennis court reservation book, the massage reservation book, the personal training reservation book. Um, and from there I progressed. I mean, I studied exercise science in college. I thought personal training or coaching, uh, was going to be the track that I would follow. So when I got into, you know, post-college, I was working as a personal trainer, but then quickly found in the, in the globo gym model, the, the, recipe for success or for moving on or moving up and ascension in that model really was not in training. It was in sales, membership sales. Um, you know, the guys who sold the memberships became the assistant general managers who became the general managers who became the area managers who became the regional managers. So I quickly got onto that path. Um, and that was my, my path really for the first 12 years or so out of, out of college. 12 years, you said? Uh, pretty much. Yep. From r roughly graduated college in 98. And I guess I did that. So 98, 11 years, 98 through 2008, really, when I first found CrossFit as a model and then started working in my first CrossFit gym in, in 2008. Why get out of the commercial gym space, which has a lot more consistency, a lot more certainty and a much clearer, like, I mean, they know what KPIs are. They have reports. Mm -hmm. Why leave that? to start something very uncertain? So that's a loaded question because yeah. I think some of the certainties, the certainties that you're mentioning, right. There's certainties in terms of, uh, what your potential pay scale is and, and things like KPIs and goals. But there was other certainties that came with working in that industry as well. One of them was there. The certainty was that on the last day of every month, I was going to work 14 hours. Uh, why which, is that? What, why is that? Um, because generally speaking in the, in the global gym world, sales is what really drives everything. That's where most of your pay is derived from. Uh, once you're on the management side, sales side, uh, and the last day of the month typically is a, is a big sales day closeout, you know, is the term a lot of them use, uh, because you're closing out a particular promotion, or at least you're giving the impression that you're closing out a particular promotion. Mm -hmm. So well, it's all hands on deck last days leading up to the last day of the month, including the last day of the month, which if you were to look at a calendar, uh, typically is December 31st. What's that? New Year's Eve, uh, you know, May 31st, that's typically Memorial day weekend. So a lot of the 30th and 31st days of the month also 
uh, unfortunately tend to be holidays in the United States. And so as I was going through that, that was a certainty that I didn't like, which was the the rest of my life outside of the gyms was potentially affected, right? Time with family, time with uh, once I had a baby and a now now a teenager, but so that was one of the certainties I didn't like. Another certainty that I was okay walking away from was that the bigger the gym and the more emphasis there was seemed to be on membership sales uh, meant that it was fairly certain that there was generally speaking, a less, uh, less of an emphasis on actual fitness because so much of the conversation day to day revolved around number of memberships, cost of membership, price of memberships, which also then meant a lot of the folks who were coming in and joining, uh, may have come in initially because they had some sort of fitness motivation, but they ended up making the decision and the buying decisions because of incentives that were provided or, you know, financial incentives and discounts that were provided, which meant that once they became members, uh, they, they weren't necessarily fitness focused anymore. And so one of the certainties is, or was, at least in my interpretation was that they cared about things in the gym that weren't really that important when it came to fitness, the volume of the music, uh, the, the availability of towels, the color of the towels, the lack of uh, shampoo or, or conditioner in a bathroom. And those were things that in late 2007, when I first got turned on to the CrossFit model from a fitness standpoint and a business standpoint that were really attractive to me, which was the focus was on actual fitness. Well, so now that you own a successful micro gym, CrossFit affiliate, Courage Fitness Durham, how do you as the owner stay focused on the fitness that's happening in the building and not on the volume of the music, color and quantity of the towels number of new members who joined this month, dollars that came in, profit on those dollars? That's a good question. Um, I still, I wouldn't say that I'm unfocused on any of those things, but the primary focus still now remains on fitness and providing that fitness outcome and that fitness experience. Um, Now, part of the reason why I could probably do that better in this environment than in a 5,000 member uh, global gym is because it is a smaller footprint, right? We're talking about 300 members, not 3,000. We're talking about 300 members who generally join because they maybe put a higher uh, importance on their fitness, their willingness to pay attention to their fitness. So they might be less in tune with some of those little, you know, nagging, annoying things that in a globo gym, someone who's paying, you know, cheap rates may actually think is more important. So if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're describing there is, the the best KPI for financial success is actually going to be your ability to deliver results to the member that they signed up for because there's a there, there's a bigger percentage of the pie tied to each of those members and losing one of them when you only have 300 and for people listening a lot of them are like 300 I would I would kill my in-law for 300 <laughs> and but 300 people means one of them leaving represents 0.33% 3,000 people, one of them leaving, represents 0.033%, which is much uh-huh. easier to handle than the other. Um, Correct. So is, is, that, is that an accurate depiction? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that makes that drives the point. And again, because it's a smaller overall footprint, we can be a little choosier uh, with the people that, you know, we're inviting in. We're choosier with, uh, you know, Again, we don't discount memberships. We don't discount personal training because 
I would rather have somebody who sees the full value in what we're providing, um, even if they don't end up staying for for a very long time. But even if they see it in the short term, because that value uh, is what leads really to our success at this point. We don't, I don't need them for a $50 a month recurring membership fee. Um, we want them for, you know, our monthly membership fee and hopefully services on top of that, because they actually value the, what we provide and they're willing to do the work that, you know, is required from a client to get there. And what is your monthly membership fee? Uh, we charge one ninety nine, uh, and I hesitate to say monthly because right. we actually use a twenty eight day billing cycle. But so we have we collect thirteen payments in a in a year versus monthly. So, but we charge one ninety nine on our billing cycle, which I think translates to two hundred fifteen dollars per month. Yeah, so I was, um, was going to do that math for you on the back end of this. Yeah, but, but I yes, know the math. <laughs> yeah, so so it's you're charging about two hundred fifteen dollars per month two one five, um, and. One of the things that comes up for a lot of gym owners when we talk to them about pricing is they don't want to price somebody out. They don't want to be too expensive for Mary, who's been at the gym for five years, stuck with them through COVID, was with them when the neighbor was complaining about the noise being too loud, stuck with them when George left and tried to take everybody from the gym with him to go to the gym down the block. And now they're like, I don't want to raise my prices so that Mary can't afford me. I feel like I owe it to her. Sure. How do you um, well, I would say one, I'm not great at that. So mm-hmm. we're, we're guilty of being in that situation. One of the things that I think is a benefit to us, which makes me not have to deal with that situation quite as much as we're in a super transient town. So I think my longest serving member right now is just at the 10 year point. Um, when this gym first opened, the membership rate was a hundred dollars a month. And that was on a normal 30 day or 31 day billing cycle. Um, Over time, because of the people coming and going in here, we haven't done a very aggressive job of raising rates on existing members because the reality is they leave anyway. And we're replacing them with higher price points as those folks come in. Um, We're trying to do better at that because I think even when I look at our roster, um, there's still a portion of our members who are paying below our current rate. Mm-hmm. Um, because they fall in that situation that you're talking about. So I'm definitely not the perfect example of the gym owner who's handling that by the book the well, right way. I think that, that um, I think it's okay for people to hear that. I think that, mm-hmm. well, the first thing I want to share is you mentioned fairly casually that they're going to leave anyway. And I want to make sure that people understand that you first said that you live in a transient area, which means people mm-hmm. leave the area, which means yes. they're also going to leave the gym. It's not that you're apathetic to people signing up and leaving the gym. I want to make sure that that was, that was clear to people. Correct. Correct. Now, the other side of it is I think that there's a misconception amongst people in the marketplace that they need to be perfect in order for things to go well in the gym. And the reality is they don't need to be perfect. You're an example. No. You're describing, I don't do this thing very well as much as I would like to say I do everything really well that I don't. Yes. And still correct. we're successful. So do you think yes. that there's a threshold of, um, a threshold for which people need to say, okay, this is too much that I'm doing wrong and I'm okay with it. And it's too much compared Mm -hmm. to that's just not a high priority to fix right now. Yes. Um, you know, and to that point, I mean, I definitely kind of ascribe to the philosophy of, if I get this right, right. Perfect is the enemy of good or Mm -hmm. even great. Um, but I'm also a perfectionist, right? I think perfect is the enemy of progress. Okay. Okay. So something like that. Right. But I, 
but I'm also a perfectionist. And we just had this discussion in my uh, leadership meeting yesterday because I will constantly find all the things that we're not doing right, even though in in most people's terms, we're probably crushing. Right. You know, you throw out we have we're around 300 members. Uh, The revenue numbers that we do, I know, make most people, you know, drool. Our profit numbers would make most people drool. But we are far from perfect. There are lots of areas I would argue probably almost every area we are far from perfect. We do a lot of stuff really, really well, and we do a lot of stuff a lot better than a lot of other people, but it's far from dialed in. Certainly it's not as dialed in as I would like it to be, or my team would like it to be. And that's, we're in constant, you know, striving uh, to make it better. What are some of the things that you are not, let me, let me backtrack. I think it's important for people who are listening to this to, to, to hear two things here. Number one, focus on the things that you already are doing well and make them exceptional as opposed to trying to look at all the things that you don't do well and, and, and harp on them. The difference for them and you, Dave, is how often are you in the gym and how long are you there for when you're there? Uh, currently in, I am not in the gym much at all. Uh, I am probably in the gym right now, less than five hours a week. So, um, and actually, and really I'm probably in the gym less than, two hours a week. So I'm really being honest. So what I want to be clear on here for everybody else is if you spend a hundred percent of the time that you spend in the gym, focusing on the negative, there is still potentially an extra 98% of the time available for people in the gym to focus on the positive. And your job is to find a lot of the things that we need to improve upon while their job is to continue improving upon the things that they're good at. Right. So, so that's, that's one thing I want to set the, the stage on here. The second thing is, you described that you're working on some things that you want to continue to improve on. How do you choose what things to continue to improve on as compared to what things to let rest? Um, I guess in terms of like triaging those things, everything comes back to, and especially in the last, what, nine, 10 months now that we've sort of made this really hard pivot and, and been working even with active life, everything comes back to, how do we provide a better fitness experience and the fitness experience that we want to provide is solution oriented. So how do we provide that better? So that's how I, that with, I'll have that overarching goal in mind and that's how I will triage the problems that we need to address. So for example, right now, one of my main focuses, my main focus is not necessarily the whole business, but mine is making sure that our messaging, our external messaging is, clear and concise so that people who are potentially looking at coming to train with us can be clear on what it is we do, the problem that we solve and the way that we go about solving. And the second part of that then is what is our internal messaging so that we can make sure that the internal message uh, to our members and to our clients is matching our external message. Um, And so right now that's been almost priority number one for me um, really over the last nine, 10 months. And, and, even as we're moving forward for my team, one of the top priorities for our coaching staff has been to dial in and actually just become better coaches, be able to actually deliver on the message that we are putting out uh, to the community, putting out on social media, putting out through our website and being able to deliver on the promises that we're making. It sounds so simple that it can't possibly work. And yet it's, it's, it is that singular focus. Like we just want to deliver better experience to our members always. So what must be true in order to allow us to do that and to prove that we've done it 
if you keep asking that question, sometimes the answer is going to come back to you. We need coaches who are more professional, who are going to require higher pay. So we need to charge Correct. a higher price and offer a different service. And that leads you to all of these different things. Correct. You mentioned that nine, 10 months ago, you started working with us at Active Life. And that was when you made what you call the hard pivot. What was the pivot that you made? Um, and I say hard pivot because we had started making a, a, a softer pivot prior to that. But the hard pivot we made was to really... And I don't even want to say rip off the bandaid because we probably could have pivoted even harder than we did. Mm -hmm. But the pivot that we made was to put a larger focus on going beyond just group memberships and group classes as the solution for people uh, to their fitness woes or their fitness uh, goals when they came to join us. And at that point, the biggest thing that I committed to as the owner was I'm going to professionalize the coaching staff. I want them to be able to earn more money uh, and not even earn more money. I would like them to actually earn enough money so that if this is what they truly want to do as a career, they can be able to do it here. They don't have to be, uh, you know, somebody who's just, you know, teaching a couple classes a week or trading for a couple classes a week in exchange for membership, but they have to have another job uh, in order to actually live their regular life. Um, so for me, you know, mentally, that was the big pivot because up to that point, I didn't have to really do that. You know, I, I've used that term, you know, too, like there was really nothing broken at that moment when we decided to make that pivot. But I and actually really nothing was broken. A lot of our numbers were very similar to what we're doing now is the makeup of those numbers is different. And I know that now the business is actually much more secure because we made that pivot. Um because I have a much more entrenched staff, a much more professional staff and just better growth opportunities for the staff that's here and for the staff that will be here, you know, in the coming months and in the coming years. I know you like listening to podcasts and studying entrepreneurs. Have you ever looked into what Howard Schultz did at Starbucks when he came back? Not directly. Probably not. I'm going to send you a podcast after this. I forget what it was called. Um, I probably won't get it in the show notes because I'll forget. Huh. But um, there's 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 a story about Howard Schultz when he came back to Starbucks and the things that he was doing uh, to ensure their success long term. And all of them sounded like what you just described. Everything that he was doing was we need to focus on the people who work in Starbucks. Because if we make life great for the people who work in Starbucks, they are going to come to work and happily – put forth a legitimate effort to do a great job because they know that they're taken care of here. If the people who work here love working here and do a great job, then people who shop here are going to feel it when the person does the work. And if the people who right. come shop here love it, they're going to tell their friends to come because it's just an enjoyable experience. And we have to stop selling coffee right. and go back to selling experience. I'll, I'll send you the podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, sure. Um, you mentioned one more thing I want to add. I think the so I want I want to dive into the soft and hard pivot that you were describing. I think the soft pivot you were describing was when Nick, the head coach at the gym, kind of started taking the education to do more personal training himself. And the way I view that is you guys kind of got off the the main road and got onto the highway, but you had an exit before you had to decide if you were going to stay on the highway. You could get off the next exit and then just go back on the road you were just on. Or you uh -huh. could hit the accelerator and get into the left lane. 
right? And yes. ultimately you decided to get into the left lane, hit the accelerator. Yes. Why? What was it that you believed would be true before you did it? Again, ultimately, and, and COVID probably played a part in this. I hate talking about it because we've all, it's reality, you know, the whole man. industry, it, it is reality. And it's like, oh, but the reality is COVID and, and being closed for a period of time and then having, you know, being in a town where a lot of people were skittish about getting back to normal life and so on gave us the opportunity to make that pivot because one way or another, I had to, we had to rebuild the business back to the revenue and profit numbers that we were doing pre COVID. Um, cause we had taken a pretty large hit. We were at almost 400 members, pr- uh, March, 2020, and we had dropped to probably 230 members at our lowest point. So one way or another, I was going to have to rebuild our revenue numbers and our profit because not having profit is, that's not an option to me. That's why I'm in this business. That's why I've been doing it for as long as we're doing it. Um, so when the opportunity to, to pivot harder, um, and you mentioned like my head coach, Nick had started doing some of the active life education on his own and started bringing ideas. And we started making, you know, some little adjustments just based on his, uh, feedback and what he was learning. And the reason I decided to really jump in with both feet was I saw that we were going to have to rebuild one way or another, and I could attempt to rebuild the old way, which, uh, I recognized there was a reason why we had grown to where we had grown over the years. And I wouldn't say it was, it was so much imposter syndrome, but we were, we opened in 2008. We were one of the first 500 CrossFit affiliates. We were the first one in our area. There was a lot that I attribute to being first to market, um, you know, being early adopters, you know, having a great location, a high profile location in a part of the town that was exploding and so on. And I felt like I had already ridden that wave to the level of growth that we had had pre COVID, but I wasn't necessarily confident that that wave was going to be big enough post COVID, which were, were not even post COVID. We all recognize, mm-hmm. uh, to get back to that point. So I saw this as an opportunity to not have to regrow to that level. And really the, the strategy uh, or the vision that my head coach Nick had actually brought to me was, wouldn't it be cool if we didn't have to regrow to 400 members to get back to our level of awesomeness? What if we could get back to 300 members and do the same revenue, the same profit, and in the meantime, actually provide more of a, um, a platform for more people to be able to earn livings here? And it was basically those three things that push me over because I saw that as being the future proof for the business. The the other way, uh, there's no guarantee this way. There's not really necessarily a guarantee either, but there's more of a guarantee because at the very least uh, we could be true to what we're actually supposed to be doing in the first place, which is providing real fitness solutions for people to their fitness problems and and goals. Um, And I would like to do that because I would like to be able to continue to not have to be in the gym more than two or three hours a week and manage it from afar, from wherever I am. Um, And I'd like to be able to continue to do that. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the difference between the headaches that you had before compared to the headaches that you have now, because I want to be clear for everybody, it doesn't matter if your gym is doing a million dollars a month, a 20% profit, you have headaches. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what your gym is doing. That would be phenomenal. That'd be pretty cool. But we're not. not. We're not, we're not there <laughs> um, 
the headaches you had before were you were a staff member away effectively from having to be back in the gym and doing something or replacing a staff member where now Mm -hmm. the headaches are okay. We, we only have capacity for this many people to serve in this way before we need to hire another staff member and hiring a quality staff member who can execute at this level is not the easiest thing in the world. Sometimes we may need to develop them. Is that, is that accurate? I wouldn't say we're there even to that point just yet, but right. That's the, that's the direction that we're moving towards. Yes. So what are the headaches that you have today? Um, the headaches that we have now, honestly, are related to are our coaches prepared enough to solve the problems that we're promising people we can solve for them? Are they equipped enough? Is our sales team, which our sales team is a sales manager, operations manager, one person, but our coaches are part of our sales team as well. So is our sales team, our coaching team, are they equipped from a sales standpoint to be able to have the conversations with people to demonstrate to those people that they are capable of solving those problems. Um, so that's where we're putting, we put a lot of our effort and a lot of our training and just a lot of our discussions and attention are going to those things right now. Um, of course, we still have the, you know, the general issues of just running a gym of, you know, housekeeping and, and supplies and maintenance and things like that. But again, I've been doing this now for 25 years. Those things are easy to me. Mm -hmm. And the reality is I'm also super well aware that my time is not best spent on fixing rowing machines or broken things. I pay people to do that if, and when we need to, um, so, yeah. you know, that, that, that's great. <laughs> and, and, and I think that, I think it's good for people to hear that because everything is a, fa- there's so many false peaks in the industry. It's it, when I get to a hundred members, I'll be fine. When I get to 150 members, we'll be great. When we get to, yes. it's 200 is the number. When we get to, and, and it goes yes. right. And, yes. and when you so, go ahead. You're right. Quick story. When I, cause my mom throws this back in my face. When I first <laughs> became a partner in the gym, which I, I didn't start the gym in 2008, I became a partner several months into it. And when I first became a partner, the gym, I think at the time in, in early 2009, probably had 35 or 40 members. And we were just moving to our current location, which has since been expanded a couple of times. And I remember I telling my mom, if we just get to a hundred members, we'll be golden. I'll be set for the rest of my life, rest of my career. And, you know, that was 200 members ago. At one point it was 300 members ago. And there was a point where I was gunning for 500 members. Um, And it probably, that wouldn't have been enough either, which again is part of why we made this pivot because I don't actually want to chase that number of people anymore. I'd rather chase fewer number of people who put a higher value on what we do and they're willing to put the work in uh, to get there. So, you said you expanded a few times. How big is the gym right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, our entire gym is right about 5,400 square feet. Um, we do have the luxury of being in a building where our bathrooms are part of a common area. So they're not part of our 5,400 square feet. But uh, so in that space, we have a consult room, a small lobby area, and as much of that 5,400 square feet as fitness floor as possible. So maybe 47, 4,800 square feet of fitness? Yes, at, at, at least, probably, maybe even as close to 5,000. Yeah. Would, would you ever consider going to a larger building? Uh, no, actually, pre-COVID, uh, we had an additional 1,800 or so square feet in the basement of our building, which we ran a strength program, a powerlifting program. And I ended up giving it up um, to save some money, but also to kind of be part of this pivot and repositioning because I felt it wasn't necessary and I felt we could provide what we wanted to provide in the smaller space. So, um, so at this point I can't envision 
ever needing more space than what we currently have. So you reduced your gym's footprint by like 22, 23% in terms of size, reduced your membership yes. volume by 25% and maintained your revenue figures and your profit. Currently, yes. It, right. I mean, we it didn't maintain our revenue time. during, but, right, but we we're back to those. Yes, we're right. back to those numbers. So one of the things that you've mentioned a few times that I think actually, whether you realize it or not, is, is the thing that you do uniquely well as a business owner is you hire great people and you empower them to be successful. So Nick, who we talked about now, I think twice is the head coach in the gym. Nick took our immersion course and came to you with an idea that he clearly thought through because I mean, look, he's a great person who you have in a very important role for a reason. And you listened to him and, and the idea he brought to you, is not an inexpensive one and does not carry a lot of certainty when he brought it to you. Right. So I want, I want people to put themselves in your shoes here for a second. You know how to get your gym to, let's say 150 members. You've done it before right now. You're down at one at at 75 and whatever, you know how to get it back to 150 if you wanted to. One of your coaches in your gym comes to you and says, Hey, what if we didn't have to get to 150? What if we could just get to a hundred and make the same money we were making before paying our coaches more money? and making the same amount of profit. How would you respond to that as a gym owner? I want to dive into the, the mental mechanics that allow you to say, tell me more about this. Because that's where mm-hmm. I think people are, are, are missing the biggest area of opportunity when they have great people in place. How do you trust the people in your business? So it starts really with just communication with them. I mean, I mean, I can't even quantify the the amount of time that I've spent, particularly with my leadership team, which is my sales manager head, and head coach, talking about the vision for the business, their vision for the business, their vision for this process, their vision for this system, this program. Um, and through that, there's a lot of trust building that goes on because they understand where I'm coming from. I'm learning where they're coming from. And for me as an owner, I'm also... Uh, you know, humble enough to listen to their input and their ideas. It may take me a while. I'm pretty stubborn and I like to hear all of the ins and outs. And I'm going to make a huge list of everything that could go wrong with a particular idea before I decide to actually follow through and do it. Um, But they know that they can convince me. I'm convincible. Even if I may start out like, no, no, no. And actually, this is a perfect example. When this, when we first had this going on and Nick first had brought it to me, I was like, no, we don't need it. But he kept, to his credit, he kept kind of chipping away. And it wasn't even chipping away like, come on. He wasn't whining. It was, well, cool. Let's, yeah, how about this idea? How about this idea? How about this idea? And he kind of kept building, you know, trust with me that way. Here's an idea. I was willing to give him the length of rope to, Hey, let's make it happen. Let's see what happens with it. He followed through on the idea. It actually was successful. So we had a bunch of probably small little victories along the way. And lo and behold, I'm like, you know what? At some point we're going to have to just jump off this cliff and let's just dive in. And that's, and that's what we did. Um, I will say for me, I understand as an owner, it is hard to trust people. You know, again, I've been in the fitness industry 25 years. I was in the global gym industry side of things for 15 of that. And I don't trust anybody that went in the industry. 
because I've had every flake personal trainer, every flake salesperson pass by me. I've had people that I hired that moved to New York City from the Midwest who we hired. They moved there. They showed up their first morning for work. They went for lunch and we still don't know if that girl's even alive, you know? So I've had, we've had every possible, I've heard every excuse. I've heard every reason for failure, for not showing up to work, for not closing a sale. So I am generally skeptical uh, when it comes to people, uh, particularly in our industry, but I'm also still not jaded to the point where I won't give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and give them a reason to not be trusted before I'll give them some trust right out, right out of the gate. I think that's a valuable lesson. I think, um, a lot of business owners, especially ones who are struggling a bit, look for reasons why the people who are in the business are doing the wrong thing instead of looking for reasons why the people in the business are doing the right thing. And it's very easy to find people doing the wrong thing. It's harder to find people doing the right thing because the wrong thing is obvious the right thing might just be a step in a process that long-term may produce a result. It may not if it's the wrong process. So credit mm-hmm. to you for that. You've attracted what, two or three coaches who've moved across the country to come and work for you now. We've had two. Yes. How did you do that? How did you, cause I know that you didn't say, Hey, here's a hundred thousand dollars a year. Come work in Durham. No. How did you attract two no. really good coaches to move across? The yeah. Country? And it was actually, and it was several months ago. So it was even earlier in our pivot process. Mm-hmm. Um, and without all the details of it, really, we said, this is our vision. This is our new vision of what we were. This is what we were. This is what we are now aspiring to be. This is where we're at in that process. And we would love to have you guys come and help us get to that point in the process. We're not there yet. So I can't promise six figures right now, but I can promise the path in that direction if you come and help us get there. Um, and we were able to find folks you know, who, who are willing to buy into that part of the vision. Again, understanding that it is not a complete vision. We are far from where I expect that we will ultimately end up. Um, and even day to day with the folks that we even have on the team now, it is, here's the vision. We're not there yet. Even for our leadership team. Um, again, we had our, in our leadership meeting this week, we had a pretty impassioned conversation about where we are and where we're going to go. And a lot of the discussion was around, we know what we want to get to, and we couldn't even necessarily agree on where we are in this particular moment. So we can figure out how we're going to get there, but we all agree on where we want to get to. Where do you want and to, where do you want to get to? And where was the disagreement? I'm really interested to hear about this. Sure. <laughs> if I can, let's see if I could kind of make it simple. I mean, ultimately where we, what we would like to get to is that the gym is a place where, again, the people who are training with us, the, the people who are coming to join and the people who are even here, they value Everything that we do, and when I say everything, what I mean is they're not just here for the group classes. They understand that the coaches are here as a resource, that they take advantage of one-on-one sessions, one-on-one coaching, even if it's not on a regular basis. They understand that that is part of the overall umbrella of what we do. And even if they may do group classes as their primary method here, if and when they have a particular problem pop up, they know that it's part of our culture to go get with a coach and maybe knock out six or eight or 12 sessions to handle that particular issue so that they can continue to then thrive or, or improve in their group classes. Um, So that's just kind of the overall 
vision, which is still kind of a little bit of a blurry 30,000 foot view vision. Um, some of the, our, our passion discussion yesterday was really revolving around why aren't we there already? And what, what are we blurring in our message today? That's not already giving that impression to our coaching team, number one, and then two, to the members who are already in the building. What are the answers, Andrew? Part of the main answer that we drew really was that even amongst us, and when I say us, I'm our leadership team, the three of us is even we're not even in agreement and I'm not even personally in agreement with myself as to what, where exactly we are right now. Um, and part of that is because we are in this position of kind of transitioning from a place that was all group memberships all the time. That's that's what we were built on. You come, you might do some sort of on-ramp or foundations program, and then you're in group class and group classes will solve everything. Um and, and we're not trying to be that anymore. We still see group classes as the main foundation of, of the business, um, but not the only foundation out of the business, right? Now we want the one-to-one service and the, whether that's one-to-one PT or programming and nutrition help to be a second pillar, second foundation of the business. So the only thing, the thing we kind of walked away from at, after our meeting yesterday was, we, we all agree on where we want to get to and we have to do a better job of kind of being able to define amongst the three of us where we actually are now. And once we do that, that's when we can do a better job of communicating to the coaching team and then the members of where we are now and where we want them to go, where, where we want to go. I would love to jump into one of those meetings with you. Well, we might have to, we're going to have to zoom you in. <laughs> I'm fine. I'll, we, we can zoom yeah. me in. I'm down for yeah, Or fly you down. Maybe we'll fly you down. <laughs> I'm, 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 in, I'm in for either and or both. Okay. Uh, and I mean it. I would love to get that on the schedule. Yeah. So one of the things that I think your staff is doing really well right now um, is providing a value that's demonstrably different than the group class executed one-on-one when they perform one-on-one sessions with members. Um, yes. Yes. Can Can you speak to as I'm talking to you right now? I'm I'm distracted because out my window there is a truck that just says gefilte fish on the side of it, and I can't imagine enough people liking gefilte fish to warrant having a truck with gefilte fish on the side of it. Me neither. That is not one of my favorites. That's for no. sure. All right. Anyway, for those of you who don't know what gefilte fish is, G E F I L T E fish. Google it. Um, Dave and I, unfortunately, probably both have experience with it. Anyway, um, how do you know that that's true? Because I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of coaches, there's a lot of gyms who would like to believe that their trainers, their coaches are doing what your coaches are doing. And I frankly have a difficult time articulating to them that they may be trying to, but they're not. Uh, I guess from an owner perspective, you have to be open enough. And this is hard in, in our world, I think a lot of times, um, but you have to be open enough to recognize that there's number one, there's more than one way. Um, and you have to be willing to recognize that a, a coach can never have enough real, really information 
number one, just from a coaching standpoint, they can't learn enough. And two, from a communication standpoint, they cannot learn enough on how to better communicate what they're able to help people with and be able to provide that service for somebody. Um, and there is a big difference between being able to teach a movement to somebody, which I think, again, in our world and in the CrossFit world, uh, that's where a lot of the emphasis gets put, right? The nine basic movements, the points of performance and so on. There's a big difference be- between being able to teach an, a movement and exercise and being able to actually look at somebody move and see where they're limited in their movement uh, and then figure out why they're limited in that movement. That has nothing to do with the movement itself. It has nothing to do with uh, the deadlift or the pull-up itself. It has to do with that person's ability to just move. And that's where we're putting our emphasis. That's, you know, active life's coaching and preparation for coaches. That's where our coaches are working on learning and getting better at, they're not necessarily just working, trying to get better and finding more cues to teach the deadlift correctly. They're working on trying to make somebody move better. And again, find the reasons that that person may not be moving better already, and then fix those particular issues, which goes far beyond teaching the nine basic movements that CrossFit uses or any of the other accessory movements, you know, that, that might be out there or any movement in fitness. So really, to have a coach who's able to do that, you put yourself at risk if that coach leaves harder to replace. And and I've heard I've heard gyms, gym owners who've said the reason why we have a bunch of part-time trainers, bunch of part-time coaches, is it makes them very easy to replace if they should leave and coaches are transient. What are your thoughts on that delicate balance? I get that train of thought because, you know, again, there was a point in our business where we had 16 or 18 coaches on our roster and they would coach anywhere from probably two to 10 classes a week. And if somebody needed to have a day off or take a day off or was sick, it was pretty easy to have somebody rotate it with a smaller staff. That's definitely a little more difficult. That's still something I'm learning to come to grips with, um, and being comfortable with. Um, and I will say because of that, past experience and, and, and having that, I still will probably always have us in a position where we have more than enough coaches, just not 18. If we only need seven, right. I would like to have eight coaches almost at capacity, then have six coaches over capacity. Um, you know, so that if one of them were to leave, there is still somebody to kind of come behind and pick up, pick up the slack. Sure. Leave, leave enough room. So that if somebody leaves, all of their work being delegated to the other coaches is now a full gym. We can replace that coach and we now have the availability. It's still manageable. And I would even say it's beyond them even leaving, right? But people, people get sick, especially right now. People get sick. People also need vacations. I mean, our guys over the last year, we've had people go away for a week, go away for a long weekend. Um, Depending on how long they were away, we had their classes have you know, we're able to be covered. Maybe their clients were getting covered. Maybe their remote clients were being serviced by somebody else, depending on where they were going, if they were out of, you know, Wi-Fi range or something like that. Um, but everything was still able to run smoothly. We didn't skip a beat, 
you know, in that there's certainly some days and times where we're like, Oh, wait a minute. Are, do we have enough? Are we, are we good? Uh, again, my head coach will tell you right now, that is one of my primary concerns. I keep asking him that question. Are you sure we're, we're covered? Are, are you sure we're good? He assures me we're good. I'll give him enough rope on that, you know, because there's enough trust there that when he says it, I may question him, but that doesn't mean I don't believe him. Well, knowing Nick, he wouldn't tell you something he didn't believe to be true. I also believe he would tell you something that he believes he can make it true if it's not yet. Meaning if I'm Correct. wrong, like if, if I'm wrong and I'm Nick, I will pick up the slack so that the gym yes. doesn't have to suffer. And that, that right there, I'm glad you said it because he's heard me say this tongue in cheek uh, in another discussion and he'll hear it again here, which is that's exactly why I'm okay with saying, okay, you got it. Because I know that if he actually ends up not having it, he will get it and he has it covered. And that'll be a learning experience for him and a learning experience for the team. And we'll move on from it and get better after. And the valuable lesson there for people who are head coaches in the gym is I don't believe that Nick has an ambition to own his own gym. I think that Nick very much likes his role at Courage. And it's a different set of headaches. It's a totally different set of headaches. And he's been able to basically wrote it, write his own check because of how reliable he is. Yes. And to that point, we've had that discussion. And my side of that discussion is if that's not something you aspire to, number one, you shouldn't have to aspire to own your own business in this business mm-hmm. in order to have the life that you want financially and freedom wise and so on. You shouldn't have to have that aspiration. Unfortunately, that's generally the path. Even in my career, when I first started, that was my aspiration was to own a gym one day. I just thought it would be a 30,000 square foot globo gym. Um, And in in our world, the micro gym world, that is for a lot of coaches, what they aspire to. The problem with that is it's an an entirely different skill set to run a successful small gym, uh, even medium sized small gym than it is to be a good coach. Um, and the discussions I've had with him on that level is I want to create every possible, I want to create an environment where you have every possible opportunity here to do everything you ever want to do in fitness. I want you to be able to do it here so that you don't have to go decide that for your own future, your family's future, you have to now leave this and the security that it provides for you to go do it on your own, where you may then encounter all these other pitfalls and all these other things that you don't want to deal with. I'll deal with those things. I'm comfortable being in that role and worrying about all the non-fitness related things that come with running the business. If I want him to be focused on what he wants to be focused on and still be an entrepreneur. I believe he can still be an entrepreneur within my entrepreneurial journey. Well, what you're describing is what Ed Milet describes is if you want people to fit inside of your vision, make your vision large enough for theirs to fit inside. And what you're saying is people will hear that and some people will hear, oh, so Dave thinks he can do it, but the coach can't. And that's not what you're saying. What you're saying is Dave knows what it is and likes it. And the coach might find out what it is and not like it. But before he ever got to finding out what it is, he may abandon doing what he's doing to figure it out on the fly, get there and be like, I don't like this. 
And so Correct. if he can achieve all of the things that he wants to achieve in his career through the role that he currently has, then there's no reason to want to go and do something else. And if he got Correct. to that point, I imagine you two would have a conversation around how that all looks and, wh- and, wh- and what he's missing. Yeah. And the, because the reality is, uh, you know, being in, in the micro gym world here for the last 13 and a half years, I've seen far too many people make that jump. Mm-hmm. And then they, they don't realize till it's too late till they've signed a lease on a building and, and paid it a, 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 an affiliate fee or something like that and put up a website. They didn't realize what they didn't know until they found out what they didn't know. And by then it's sort of too late. Um, so why do that? Right. You know, why do that? If it's something that you actually have researched and have been close enough to want to do, that's a different story. Um, but again, I want to create an environment where it's not necessary for financial or fulfillment reasons necessarily. And here, you know, we've had the discussion of, you know, I'm, uh, I'll be 46 in April. We've been doing this, uh, this gym again, since 2008, my son was four when the gym started this April, he'll graduate or June, he'll graduate from high school. I don't plan to do this forever. Um, I don't know how long I'll do it for. Um, but I don't plan to do it forever. Uh, and I also wouldn't want the business to then just go away because I decide to do something else. So there may be an opportunity at some point to own a business that you actually help create, Mm -hmm. um, and run and, and do, but I don't, but there shouldn't be a rush to go do that. That is not the only way. Um, and I find myself lately when I'm talking to people about buying another location or opening another location or even buying a gym or buying a gym from someone else or starting a gym, telling people more often than not, not to do that. Yeah. It is not what you think it is based on what you're telling me. You know, Dave, your, your gym, we don't need to get into the financials for anybody. Um, but anybody would agree. It's, it's by all measures, very successful in a micro gym space. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you believe would be valuable for you to share with people listening to this uh, before we wrap this thing? Sure. Um, I think the one thing I would offer is I, I believe one of the main reasons that we're as successful as we are. And again, I, I put the caveat on, on that of we're not nearly as successful as we could possibly be but we're pretty good. You're in the the top, probably 0.1% of all CrossFit affiliates in the world. That's probably true from a revenue and profit standpoint. That's probably true. But to me, that's more uh, uh, a statement about them than it is about me. I know. I agree. Uh, I agree. Okay. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pushing back yes. that you could be doing okay. better. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I, can, I just, yeah. Cause I want that out there too. But the one thing that I think has gotten us to that point is because I was exposed to the entire industry prior to getting into this part of the industry. And because I am still open to the rest of the industry. Um, I just got back from a conference um, uh, just a week ago, that was nothing to do with micro gyms or CrossFit or, or small, you know, boutique style gyms. It was a, a globo gym conference, but I went to it. Um, I think it's important for owners to not just poo poo. I mean, even I know we use the term globo gyms and that's become part of our vernacular now, the same way a box has become and functional fitness has become part of our, you know, language now, but a lot of people use globo gym as a negative and it doesn't need to be. Um, 
there's a lot to learn out there. And that would be my one just thing to offer to, to other small gym, boutique style gym owners, which is there's more to even your current brand or your current license um, that you could go and learn from and explore. Um, there's other gym owners out there besides the ones who own a gym similar to you to go learn from. And you need to be open to learning from them. You can't be so rigid uh, in what you believe or in what we do, or this is how we've done things. You have to be open to change. David Rubin, Courage Fitness Durham. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Sean. It was awesome. Active lifers, I have good news for the fitness professionals out there. If you are ready to build a rock solid coaching and training practice, the best place to start is in the Active Life Seminar. Hosted live and online, you're going to learn our signature nine-point movement assessment system, rules for training and programming with pain, and how to make sales feel natural so much more. Check out the link in the show notes for more information. Active Lifers, I have a favor to ask you. If you enjoyed the show, we pride ourselves on bringing value to you through the lens of bridging the gap between fitness and healthcare. The best way for you to support this podcast is by reviewing this episode wherever you listen. Please give us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. Your support helps so much. Send a screenshot of your review to us on our Instagram account at ActiveLifeRx. As a thank you, we'll gift you a special PDF with the most common mistakes made when working out and how to correct them. 